welcome to the Back in Business podcast. I am business journalist, business conference host, and podcaster, Declan Curry. He's also the Back in Business business correspondent, and I'm small business journalist, Liz Barkley. Declan, you haven't been with us for a few weeks. We've missed you greatly. I'm sure uh, you haven't. But, but I know you... Well, I have to, I have to lie nicely at some point. I know. <laughs> been with you. All um, these years you've learned tact. <laughs> And diplomacy? No. Uh, I know you've been busy, uh, mm. which is great, given that you and I are both freelancers. We need to be busy. But what are your thoughts on what's been happening over the past few weeks? I think it is the winter of our discontent. We had the growth figures this morning, which showed that the recovery is already slowing down rapidly, much earlier than economists had hoped, growth of just 2% in August. And the big fear is that we may have already had the best that the recovery has to offer, because we now have pubs closing in Glasgow and Edinburgh and across central Scotland from six o'clock tonight and who would ever have thought we'd have a headline like that. Uh, We're likely to have similar restrictions in uh, much of the north of England from next week. We know that the infection rates are rising in the Midlands and in London as well and then at the end of this month the scheme that's been supporting wages packs up. Uh, yes, the furlough scheme you're talking about to be replaced by the job support scheme, which isn't anywhere near as generous and people are getting really worried that they're not going to be able to afford to keep people on. I think this is the autumn of our discontent. We're not in winter yet. Yeah. It's going to get worse. It's going to feel like winter. <laughs> oh, dear. Does the American situation have any bearing on this? Um, you know, the elections coming up in about three weeks. It has an immediate impact on the markets because they've been watching the negotiations or the lack of negotiations between President Trump and Congress uh, about whether there should be another $2 billion worth of stimulus. And uh, President Trump freshly uh, released from hospital and freshly cured, he says, uh, decided that he would abandon negotiations with Congress uh, and then merely hours later urge Congress to get on with it. So it's not entirely sure where his policy is now taking us. But the markets were pinning their hopes on that extra $2 billion, uh, coming into the economy, uh, if only to rescue jobs in stricken industries like the airline business. And of course, the big event in the calendar in the United States is the Uh, presidential election next month. Don't just watch who gets control of the White House. It's also important in determining who gets control of the House of Representatives and of the Senate as well. And there is not an outside chance that the Democrats will have a clean sweep, that they will get the White House, the House of Representatives and the Senate as well. If that does happen, then you could see a lot of policies that uh, may be, shall we say, challenging for some businesses, but you may also see quite a lot of stimulus coming down the path as well. Uh, I'm not sure that I should bring this up, uh, and I'm not actually bringing it up because we would be here for the rest of the podcast, but I am just saying Brexit, mm. oil markets. It hasn't gone away, you know. It is <laughs> just around the corner. Uh, the transition period uh, under which we continue to trade with Europe under the rules of the single market and the customs union all comes to an end at the end of December. Uh, We are told that uh, civil servants have advised ministers that tens of thousands of businesses are not yet ready for it. Well, for the very simple reason that tens of thousands of businesses don't know what they're getting ready for, because we don't yet know what position we're going to be in at the end of the year. Is there going to be a trade deal with Europe? Or is there not? They're two quite different options with quite different outcomes. (laughs) I knew if I said that word, it would push your buttons. Mm. I did say oil markets as well. We're not going to go there, but I think we need to think about the impact of the oil markets. And we also need to think about the US uh, and China relationship, which seems to me to be disintegrating as we speak. Um, Again, again, that's another thing where (laughs) a Biden victory might change the calculus, there will still be a degree of hostility and suspicion between the two. But uh, if President Trump were to win, then there is likely to be an escalation of uh, the trade tensions and sanctions between the US and China. Uh, If Biden wins, then there will still be tensions, but they'll be fought out in a more traditionally diplomatic mode. 
Okay, well, we're going to be talking uh, about what the winter looks like um, and the autumn, I suppose, for small businesses shortly with freelance consultant Philip Ross, with business owner Emma Jones and with professor of small business Mark Hart. Uh, jobs, jobs, jobs are on everyone's mind alongside the public health issues. Simon McVicker, our Director of Public Affairs Policy and Communications is here. Simon, uh, what, can you, what can you tell us that the Chancellor is thinking? <laughs> uh, well, not, nothing's being announced as we uh, broadcast. But we're sitting on the edge of our seats. Seats, but it is now rumoured and in the Times they are reporting that in those northern areas that are facing a, a shutdown at the moment and then this shutdown will be tightened up next week, the Chancellor will use his job support scheme to pay two-thirds of the wages of workers who are affected in those key industries that are forced to shut down, which actually brings it into line with what the German scheme is, uh, uh, which I always said was a, was a more generous scheme of what you should have been looking at from, from the first part. Now, this has come about because we're now beginning to see the fragmentation of, of political opinion. Uh, first of all, the Labour Party now are beginning to oppose, and it's because probably of these northern mayors who think uh, their areas have been treated unfairly, and uh, they believe that the government is ruling by decree rather than consultation. We're also seeing within the Conservative Party, uh, well, a huge debate. I think it's not really a huge debate. The vast majority of Conservative MPs are not convinced about the shutdown, and uh, they believe we should be getting the economy back on course. And um, Boris, for instance, is having a vote apparently on the 10 o'clock curfew next week. Well, if Labour vote with those Conservative rebels, he will lose that vote. So, I mean, the whole thing is a bit of a shambles. It seems that Boris is still going with the scientific advice or the, the scientific advice that is close to him, you know, the witties of this world. But there's more and more scientists saying, actually, we don't agree with them. So is, there's no real consensus of the science, I don't think. Uh, the government is doing what most other European countries are doing, but with less success. Uh, we don't seem to be bringing the rate down here in the way that other countries have, have been doing that. And you know, that asks, answers questions. Are people here more rebellious? Are they not following the rules? And will another lockdown really work? I mean, it hasn't worked the first time, right? Uh, don't, don't, you think, don't you think, though? Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Declan, I think I cut across you. I, I, just, I, I just think uh, perhaps, you know, it's a bit like economists. If you ask 40 scientists, you get 40 different answers. Um, and things don't seem to be much better under control in the public health way uh, across the rest of Europe. But from the business front, are there other countries that are doing better? Uh, well, I'm not sure France is doing any better. I mean, they've had a pretty uh, severe lockdown again, and Paris is virtually shut down again. Um, uh, Sweden, um, I'm not, I'm not 100 clear, but I think their economy is in a better state than ours, and they did follow a different strategy. Uh, I think the United States is in a terrible mess, um, but they've had no strategy there at all. Well, depends which state you're in, basically. But I think I think they're 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 in a terrible situation. But I think there I think if you go to a country like Australia, where there's been a much more coherent government response with a plan for jobs, etc., uh, their economy is looking a little bit better. Um, and I think uh, maybe it's because we are a much bigger country with a lot of diverse populations living in it that it makes it more difficult. But I also think it's because our messaging, the government's messaging has been unclear. People are now beginning to make up their own mind of what's right and what's wrong. They're not going to be scared into it like they were in March. Uh, and, you know, you've got the ruling party disagree with the prime minister by and large. Mm, you're painting a rather gloomy picture. Can I also just say, that I've heard today at L on LBC at lunchtime, the mayor of London has been on talking about having a, a, a tighter shutdown in London, and that could be coming next week. Now, that does go a little bit against what the other northern mayors are saying, but Sadiq Khan has been um, 
very vocal in wanting to shut down London. And yet the London rates are not that bad compared to the rest of the country. So I think Londoners better beware. Um, Simon, stay with us. Um, we'll obviously uh, talk a lot more about this as we go through the podcast, um, but you are painting a fairly gloomy picture there. Um, we, I should say that we are recording this on Friday the 9th of October, and of course we are waiting for the Chancellor to say something. Uh, we think we know what he's going to say about uh, what's been called, being dubbed a two-thirds furlough, um, but Declan, you know, we just have to keep an eye on that over the next couple of days. And by the time we publish this podcast, something will have been said. Let's well, hope hopefully. It. Otherwise, uh, there are going to be a lot of businesses on the verge of closing their doors with no idea of how they're going to keep uh, their workers on the books. Remember, the point of the furlough scheme was to say to companies, we've stopped you from trading, we've stopped you from opening, we've stopped your workers from bringing in sales for you, but keep them on your books, we'll cover the wages or a good proportion of the wages so we don't see a big rise in unemployment. The interesting discussion that's been going on this week has been along the lines of the viability of jobs. And the governor of the Bank of England, uh, Andrew Bailey, was talking during the week about whether, you know, how long does this have to run before you start saying that some of the jobs that can't continue in their normal way at the moment are gone for good? And how many of them are just out of action because business is locked down and this is a temporary thing? And we keep, it's sometimes sort of difficult to lose sight of this. This is temporary. We are close to getting viruses, uh, getting vaccines that have a very good chance of working into mass production within just a matter of months. Now, this has been massively accelerated, uh, but a number of them are on the uh, either in third stage trials or about to go into. We know the production capacity is there to build it up. It's not inconceivable that the first vaccines may start to emerge early in the new year. And that then becomes a game changer. Once the vaccine starts uh, rolling out, then the economy can start reopening again and coming out of its hibernation. Quite how we suddenly vaccinate 50 to 60 million people in a hurry is a whole other issue. Well, anybody that's just tried to get the flu jab under 65 will say it's impossible and uh, it doesn't fill me with great confidence that the government will be able to get us all vaccinated against COVID-19. Which okay. is why it was so interesting to see ASDA yesterday announced it was going to do drive-by vaccinations. Yeah. Now, there's an innovative approach it is. to vaccinating a lot of people quickly. And indeed, I got mine in the end from Tesco's, but they have now run out. You were always a better <laughs> no. value shopper than I was. So. <laughs> Every no, little kind no plugging. of... <laughs> 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 but you're not, I don't see anybody patting their back pocket. Uh, <laughs> can, can I bring in Philip Ross? Uh, Philip works as a freelance IT consultant, a business analyst and a project manager. Uh, Philip, I think I'm right in saying that you specialise in digital transformation and in cyber security. And given that we're all working at home, I suspect the security issue for a lot of businesses is very important. But, you know, what are you? Are you freelance? Are you self-employed? Are you the director of a limited company? Um, how, do you, how do you describe yourself? It's, it's always the hardest question to answer because people say, give me your, when we come to this interview, somebody said, give me your official title. And I think, well, what is my official title? Well, in fact, I, I work freelance. I do contract work. I work through a limited company. Um, so I'm director of my own limited company. So i, I class myself as a as a consultant to actually work but often when people say are you self-employed they think you are self-employed as in like um the tradesman who comes around you know self-employed that way whereas instead actually work through 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 a limited company um and it's interesting actually because during the all through lockdown people saying what are you working on i'm going i'm working on antivirus stuff and they're going oh that's really important isn't it going, oh. <laughs> I go, oh, well, yeah yeah but not what you think oh no no keep going because we need people like you and they're going well you know doing, doing our best you know you know you know keep, keep everybody safe but, so that's uh, why that's why you've just been down the pub you've been brought lunch <laughs> by somebody who thinks that'll get, get them well how have the last six months been and presumably as uh the director of a limited company you've been uh finding it a bit difficult to get support from the government 
Well, yeah, I think actually it's interesting because you start to talk about winter discontent. You mentioned autumn. I think it's very much is an autumnal feel at the moment because all the leaves are like the jobs all still on the trees. There's no new growth there. And we're just worried about that big gust of wind that's going to come and blow and knock, and knock them all down, actually. And that's kind of we're sitting on that edge. Um, and in terms of work, people that I know contracting and others, if you're in work, you're really fortunate. And, you know, um, and I just finished the contract recently and I've got offered to carry on to do another one. But I did take a, I did walk over to the edge. I thought, well, maybe I won't stay where I am. And basically you looked over the edge and you're looking into the abyss. You're thinking there's no work there. There yeah. is hardly anything out there. And it's actually quite terrifying because often you feel you've completed a piece of work. And the case of being a freelancer is that you move on. Actually, you move on to, the, to your next client to actually to find actually a fresh challenge. And you're thinking, I'm not really sure that I want to do that. Actually, I need to stay where I am. And of course, the other side of it as a freelancer is um, rates have been cut all across the board during, you know, during actually working. We all actually asked to take a cut to help the, help the client going, which which you'll find. You go to renew your contracts and you find actually the new one is actually on a lower rate where you where you're going to be and it's those three things that you have to ask as a freelancer can i find work is it paying enough and is it going to be sustainable in the long term and all of those three are in that autumn period if you know what i mean actually and they're all like on the edge actually you're thinking what's going to go on in well, terms join, of join declan and i yeah, <laughs> as freelance journalists our rates have been cut for the last 20 years it's going down and down i know but it's that it's that sustainability thing is, is it worth actually carrying on the risk and actually doing what you're what you're doing was in the way you're actually doing it now for the lifestyle actually you prefer to work this way and also for me i've got too old to work for somebody else actually so i'm stuck actually here as a freelancer in terms of you mentioned about government support and things I'm, I, I have successfully I've applied for one of these um, bounce back loans which I've taken and I've actually put into the bank and also I took uh, the VAT holiday you know so to defer paying VAT I thought well I'm in work but, I, but you don't know that's the whole thing about being working for yourself it's a precarious existence you know you've got to work for so long you don't know how long that work is actually going to go on for and and it could just go any minute can't it you know suddenly they can pull the rug and say next week you're gone and that's that's that, that's your basis as a as a freelancer and this is such an interesting uh, point philip it does make you wonder given all the uncertainty that we as freelancers have been through are there freelancers now who ha have gone back to salaried work and who have said i've given up on the dream maybe this is something that uh, emma jones from enterprise nation might uh, have a, a thought on as well hello emma we'll bring you into the uh, conversation at this point as well you know, have you uh, come across freelancers who've said, you know, I loved being a freelancer. I loved working for myself. It was so uh, inspiring, but I just can't take the risk anymore. Not too much of it. And it's, it's been so interesting hearing this conversation. And Simon McVicker kind of knows this. And in fact, Declan Crikey, I remember being on your amazing radio shows years ago. I have always been an incredible optimist. And of course, that optimism has been challenged in the past six months. But I'm really sorry to say I am going to give kind of the positive things that we're seeing because and, and I guess what has been incredibly striking about this pandemic is it has absolutely hit certain sectors much more than others. So in the past six months, what we've seen is anyone who's in the world of hospitality, live events and theatre, live music are on their knees and thinking when when are our industries going to come back? However, um, businesses that I'm speaking to who do subscription services, who are selling um, homewares for people that's delivered straight to their doors, have had an incredible pandemic because they've been selling really well. I did a webinar on Wednesday with an HR advisor. I said, how's business? She said, I've never been so busy. We did a focus group with accountants last week. I said, how have you found it? They said, we've never been so busy. So there's a lot of people in business services who've done pretty well. Of course, the other thing which I just keep on reflecting on is the startup rate at the moment. Masses and masses, record numbers of people starting businesses. So really? Record so Companies House in July 2020 recorded the highest ever number of company formations. To be fair, there are a couple of people out there saying 
is this that people formed companies to apply for bounce back loans and they are bogus companies again i prefer to look at it and say actually so many people have spotted gaps in the market we uh, searches for starting a business on enterprise nation are up 67 percent it's incredible and this i guess in this incredibly challenging time when still today there's depressing news that comes out of local lockdowns and the economy is still not growing I just kind of have to stay rooted in British people are kind of amazing because the way in which they're responding is by saying, okay, this is the time to start a business. Somebody just wrote to me from Crowdfunder just before coming on this call. They've just launched a new crowdfunding kind of program for people who've sadly been made unemployed who are going to start a business. And I just looked on their title page and the subject wording that they've written is um, they wrote, this is not the time, and they've crossed out the word not. So essentially what they're saying is, people may think this is not the time to start a business. They've crossed out that word. And what they're saying is, this is incredibly the time. Assets are cheap. You can start a business really cheaply. There's gaps in the market opening up. Customers are still out there. They're just buying in different ways. So kind of in answer to that question, and as I say, I know Enterprise Nation has always been a very happy place. That has been challenged um, in the past couple of months, but we are seeing lots of people in business services do well. Online sellers are doing really well and lots of startups starting. So we haven't heard too much of people saying, I'm stopping freelancing and I'm going to go and get a job instead. Um, can I bring in Mark Hart at this point? So we've got everybody in the conversation and then you can, Declan and I can sit back and listen to you argue. Mark Hart is a professor of small business and entrepreneurship at Aston Business School. Um, and Mark, uh, semi-regular on this podcast. Uh, how realistic is Emma being in your experience? You're the researcher, 40 years of research into small businesses. How do you see it? What we do see in previous recessions is startup rates do rise. So there's an element of, of truth in what Emma is saying. I would worry about the corporate, uh, the company house registration data, Emma, to be fair, because I think um, the scale of not just bogus, but um, people registering uh, companies as a safety um, valve in many ways. I've looked at the data since January. It's all over the place. So I think that that's settled on. Um, <clears throat> I have worked with businesses since the pandemic started and they hurt, you know, I'm humbled by what business owners have been doing. There's no question about that at all. But I think the downside of this is quite clear. Um, I did a piece uh, with Jill Trainer in the, in the Sunday Times last, last weekend, and I'm estimating that if we're not careful, we're going to lose a quarter of a million businesses in the next two to three months. Let's put that into context. This is not self-employed, by the way. This is employer enterprises who are on PAYE. Um, counts in HMRC. Where does that come from? It comes from the fortnightly survey that the ONS do. So basically what they're saying is that one in six firms have operating costs running way above their revenues at the moment. Um, and if you look at, so there's just under 2 million employer enterprises in the UK economy, so you can do the math, you can work it out. This, this is horrendous. It's even worse than that because one in four companies don't know if their revenues are exceeding operating costs or vice versa. So there's a real, real uh, problem here stacking up. So I estimated even in the fortnight when the survey was done, we lost 18,000 businesses closed permanently with another 80,000 temporarily closing that fortnight, the end of August, when we were supposed to be seeing this great bounce back. And as we've seen from the data to earlier uh, today, the V has not bounced back. We're now moving into a very slow, gradual plateau. So that's created space. This is coming back to Emma's point. I think that that culling of a lot of businesses is maybe creating a space for other people to move in, perhaps start up their companies and other businesses to perform better. So we need to see this in the round. And I just want to make one point about the self-employed. And Emma will probably know what I'm going to say here is that the support is there for the vast majority of the self-employed. There's about just under 3 million who have been supported. Let's be clear about that. And, you know, and I think the Chancellor's done a terrific job since the budget on the 11th of March, putting in place seemingly, what, 20 budgets since then, I guess, and put another one due while we're speaking. Um, and it's great, but the, the, the problem we've got is that there are about a million excluded. I don't end of this 3 million excluded number, by the way. Um, there is a million excluded, and, and Philip, you've put your, your, your finger on, on the issue here. It seems that, you know, the Treasury don't understand how an economy works and where freelancers and contractors fit in 
to the wider enterprise community. Small businesses are desperate for these contractors and freelancers to be on their doorstep, you know, helping them deliver the services and products to their customers. It seems to be this, this sort of, uh, you know, they're, they're, these excluded are somehow not important. They're vitally important to our enterprise economy. Uh, you know, I really would urge that, you know, something can be done about this, but the Chancellor seems adamant, indeed he gets quite upset when he's actually challenged on this, which I find quite surprising, actually, because in terms of the $110 billion spent on business support, what we're asking for for the excluded is actually not a lot of money. So that's just to sort of put things in perspective a little bit. But the general thesis that Emily, you're setting out, I'm fully in agreement with. There's businesses out there who are tripling their turnover, employing people, taking advantage of opportunities, and they're innovating their business models. It's terrific. There is, um, and just uh, Mark, picking up on the point, I have to say one of my saddest days during the whole of this um, was actually the day that the Chancellor announced the self-employment income support scheme. And the reason being, and of course, Simon's background at Ipsy, I don't know if he felt the same, but um, the Chancellor had said, um, so he had done furlough. And of course, what he said, and I have to say, I really kind of um, appreciate the Treasury's challenges that they've had. So, of course, job number one was protect jobs. Furlough scheme comes in the following week, self-employed income support scheme. And he announced it and kind of said, right, this is what I'm going to offer. It's available to these people. And I will never forget when it went into question time with the journalists and one of the journalists asked a question around future taxation. And in that moment, the Chancellor said something like, because this support is being offered to the self-employed in a similar way as it is to employees, we may be reflecting this in future tax treatment and kind of national insurance contributions. And I remember watching this thinking, part of me has slightly died that for kind of the past 20 years there's been a lot of people working to show that the self-employed may not pay as much tax but they deliver so much societal benefit they have worked from home they've contributed to local economies they bring up the next generation of entrepreneurs in terms of their kids and in one fell swoop i do feel and i appreciate it that money has saved a lot of people who are self-employed but at times of crisis when you go to a chancellor and say i want to be treated as an employee in this challenging situation the chancellor quite rightly will come back to you when he needs to bring the money back in to say remember that time i treated you like an employee you will now be taxed like one so that for me was quite a shame that and if anything it kind of goes back to the more that kind of the Chancellor gives out, at some point he's got to get it back. And just a final thing on limited company directors, because we have watched with interest the movement, Excluded UK, etc. And I always remember speaking with someone in Treasury back at the beginning when they were working on these plans. And the big thing that they said is we literally cannot distinguish if a limited company director who has paid themselves in dividends and rightly done it, we cannot distinguish whether you're a proper limited company director who needs the money or whether you're just a very rich shareholder who's been paid in dividends and you genuinely don't need the support. So I have felt for them because I guess it's the way in which the country counts money. That's the only way in which they can deliver the support back. So I think they've delivered good support. And just a very final thing on just other positives, because as I say, I can't do anything but take positives from this experience because it's just been challenging for so many is what has happened in the past six months is small businesses have activated business support. So there's been a reversal in the past 10 years decline of businesses accessing support. And in the past six months, of course, businesses have been like, crikey, I need an accountant. I need to figure out how to build a website. And my great hope is can we bed in that culture where kind of access to business support isn't just for COVID, you keep it going and it kind of gets bedded in. So I think I kind of, in summary, I, I feel for the Treasury in terms of the tough decisions they've kind of had to take. But, you know, if small businesses can take anything from it, it's that digital adoption piece, accessing support and hopefully kind of keeping that going. I can't tell you how pleased I am to hear you say that, make that point about businesses getting support because they desperately need it. It's all very well making widgets, but that doesn't mean to say that you are the right person to do the actual business bits uh, and getting help to do that is absolutely great. Simon, I, I, I know that some of that stuff that Emma has been yes. saying is, is, is you, what you've been saying to me yes. over the past six months. The, uh, the, the Chancellor's position on, 
so we say on the limited company uh, contractors is the treasury's position and it has been the treasury's position for quite a while uh, but to hear the chancellor articulate it is shocking i think and it shows that uh, the political battle's been lost there um, because we already saw that with the proposals in ir35 and um, you know he's now going to hit both contractors and the self-employed uh, and, I, and I agree with Mark as well. I think that, uh, you know, in many ways, self-employed and contractors saved many businesses after the last recession in 2008. So, I mean, I just don't know where, where the chance is coming on all this. Uh, I worry that we do, that you're looking too much on the positive, Emma, because, um, yeah, yeah, you're always going to get people who in a sort of crisis downturn are going to, try and go out on their own, especially the more white-collar workers. But what we're seeing at the moment is decimation in key sectors of, you know, uh, entertainment, catering, theatre, da-da-da-da. And these people are not the sort of people that are going to go out and start their own business. Um, and, they're not, and they're also not going to be able to go and work in these high-tech companies either, because they don't have the right skills. So... We're not hearing from the government where these new jobs are coming from. Well, Boris is talking about some pie-in-the-sky green jobs. But where, where are they coming from? And where are we training people to be able to do these jobs? Yeah, that's my, that's my point. That I, I just don't understand how people can become, you know, stop being a chef one day and become mm. a, uh, an AI specialist the next day, Mark. Mm. How does, how does that work? Or have we got enough input on the training and skills side of this? Well, we've never got this right. I've been in this game for 40 years, as you say, to my shame, because nothing's changed on the skills agenda, really. It's not uh, your all, fault. <laughs> well, I'm not taking personal responsibility, that's for sure. <laughs> but it, it has been a problem. But one of the things I think Declan touched on earlier, about the notion of a viable job. Let's be clear about this. This, this is a temporary assessment of what's viable. I think that's been made already today. There is no question in my mind there will be no economic bounce-back recovery until we suppress the virus. So we have to be careful what we mean by a viable job. In what context? If it's in the context of a public health emergency, I think it's, it's rather unfair to be talking about jobs which are viable or not viable. So I think we've got to, I mean, if we've talked in the past about, you know, um, jobs, um, like they just wither in the vine and, you know, as, we, as digital comes on board and things are done differently. We're not talking about that. That's not what's happening here. Mm. So people who in the arts and entertainment sector, in the hospitality industry, these jobs are not viable because government has closed them. Let's be clear about this. So this discussion about viability I've seen in the last two, three weeks is really, really not helpful. So, You're um, exactly right, Mark. This, you know, we're not talking here about uh, people who uh, light gas lamps uh, in the streets. You know, of course, we don't have those jobs anymore. They've been replaced by technology. But in two years, three years' time, when we're through this and we find ways of managing it, are we still going to want to go to the pub? Of course we are. Are we I still want... going to want to go to the theatre? Are we still going to want to go to art galleries? Well, yes, I want my, we are. But, we but just have to the... do it in a different way. Well, I want my barista in a year's time to make the best Americano that they can do. And that one job will always be there. I've, I've just had a, a, a text from our head of policy to say that the Lib Dems are now calling for furlough to be extended till June. Um, the Chancellor has always said that if he does that, that means that people are going to be in jobs that are not viable jobs. They don't exist anymore. By, well, that's a nonsense statement. Is not... that what you're saying? That's... That's nonsense. What do you mean they don't exist? They don't exist because government's closed down the bloody industry. So would you say, therefore, that this furlough should be extended? Yeah, absolutely. June? In France, they've extended it to June 2022. Germany have extended it. Any sensible country managing their economy properly in a public health crisis will extend furlough, period. <laughs> and, wondering and, why there's so many Northern Ireland voices in this podcast. Oh, we know, we know how to argue this. We, we, certainly, know how to argue. we certainly do. But let me therefore let me therefore try to make space for a non-Northern Ireland voice, Philip Ross. You're trying to get a word in sideways. Yeah, I was going to say, um, in terms of like, you talked about skilled workforces and moving around, you know, uh, that we need more skilled workers. Well, actually, that's exactly what freelancers are. 
actually. Instead, you don't have to train up everybody individually. You can bring in people swiftly and easily, freelance workers, actually to come in and fill that skills gap. And that's the problem. When we're going to, um, Simon mentioned the off-payroll IR35 and all of these other changes, which is going to shrink down the freelance workforce so much fun. In five years' time, they're going to say, oh, we've got a huge skills crisis. We haven't got a skills crisis. We've got a flow of skills crisis, which is the problem. And lots of the skilled workers that you get, um, you can't train them for like six months and suddenly they've got that experience. You've got people 20 years experience in d different industries who've gone freelancing. You can't create those skills overnight yeah and that's the real value that your freelance economy actually gives you know so you know perhaps people with a few gray hairs like me or less hair going out actually and actually delivering those skills so that, that is a key thing and your self-employed small businesses that we've been talking about the building blocks of lots of small businesses are freelancers that you bring in to actually build that business up actually you don't suddenly go and recruit 20 people overnight no you bring in a number of freelancers to do those things and then you slow and you get rid of them then you build up the business and you establish it so that's my point really yeah there's one thing um just because simon has accused me of being too positive um there is <laughs> <laughs> i feel i need to get one negative in before uh, the program finishes but there's there's definitely one thing that i am pretty nervous about at the moment when it comes to small businesses and freelancers actually which is um, procuring new contracts from kind of big brands mainly the government so I don't know if you saw the details on Deloitte yesterday there was a, a freedom of information request and it's like what is it a thousand and one thousand 114 Deloitte partners or Deloitte people are kind of working and it's cost 200 million and the one thing and I um at the relative well maybe about three months ago we launched a program for government called recovery advice for business program I think it was why I was on the podcast last time so um thank you for that where government is sending small businesses to our platform to get free advice calls um and that's with kind of individual small businesses. But I remember speaking to one of the trade bodies that got involved in that program called the Management Consultancies Association. And this organization tends to have smaller management consultancies. So it's not the big four, it's kind of the next tier. And I said to the lady who runs it, how are your members finding it at the moment? And she said, they're not winning government work because at times of crisis, government literally turns to those who they feel safe with. And so this is one fear I have at the moment is there is it, we're going we're going to look back in kind of 12 months time and say, where did the, all, all the innovation happen in 2020? Oh, it didn't happen because big buyers only bought from those who they felt comfortable with. And if you think about small businesses and kind of feisty startups, one of the things in a non COVID world that they've been able to benefit from is this kind of level playing field of being able to get out to networking events, meet people, put themselves forward. And of course, they just can't get an in at the moment. So that's definitely one thing that's on our mind is how do you retain equal access to market opportunities when it's really tough to meet new contacts and kind of build that um, confidence in customers really quickly. But also, when we've got a really onerous procurement system for an awful lot of those contracts. I mean, I've had small firms say to me, I haven't got three weeks or the human resources, the human beings in order to put this this bid in. Mark, we've been threatening to make this better over the years. The government has tried several times to find ways to get small businesses through the procurement system much more simply, but, but that hasn't worked either. And that's, oh. not your, and that's not your fault either. <laughs> no, I mean, they, they, they had a big push at the time of the Olympics. Remember the Olympics 2012, the, the highlight of the, the post-war period for, for, oh, for happier paper. days. Happier <laughs> days indeed. But there was a whole attempt then to open up the the, the, the procurement process make it and um, businesses were to get support if they didn't quite make thresholds etc etc we just seem to have lost all that that was some innovation within um you know within london obviously driven by london and and and, and uh, partnership with with the department for business as it now is but you know i just don't understand this and as you say the innovation is really crucial as these individuals like philip and others bring to the party for for larger businesses it's just a shame that we can't do it and i think and it's going to get worse i mean obviously during the pandemic the emergency legislation has just removed all that off the table but and, and we know what we get you know in terms of a, a test track trace 
isolate system. You know, we, we've been let down badly. And I know a lot of uh, IT people who work in cybersecurity in the little cluster around Cheltenham and, and Malvern who said we could have done that in a wet weekend. You know, it, there's a lot of expertise there. But, you know, so we've got a problem. Skills are still a problem. Procurement's still a problem. I saw something very positive about late payment uh, in the last couple of weeks. This is good news. Uh, let's just see whether people end up in court as a result of it. I, I somehow doubt it because the other problem you've got is that small businesses are so keen to get a contract, they'll sign up to any terms. And as long as they sign up to terms which are 60 or 90 days, well, there's no argument, is there? So that's a, that's a fundamental problem. The final point, I know Emma's trying to get in, but look, yeah. business support point that Emma made is, is really important. We have flushed out a lot of business owners who have got an appetite. I've been running um, some programs on... Um, uh, for for bays through the pandemic we switched them online and they've become really popular and the the small business leadership program which was launched uh, by the department for business in late august it, it goes online next week so that's for 2000 businesses to be pushed through by next march and talking to treasury we can say how do we do more of this so that i think there's a there's a sense now where they need to have a properly joined up uh, business support policy for small businesses um, you know, people like Emma have been, have been pushing on this for, for many, many years through her organization. So I think this pandemic maybe brings some good. So that's me being positive, you see. Can't, it can happen. It can happen. Make, make, Wonders make will never note. cease. I know. I was going to say to the producer, can you make a note of the time yeah. at which Mark Hart, <laughs> Mr. Grumpy. Five months and year. It was positive. <laughs> 55 minutes into a podcast of 60 minutes. <laughs> and you would wear them down in the end. <laughs> um, um, Emma, where are you trying to get in? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, as Mark spoke, I, I kind of was just thinking at the risk of sounding an old bore, when Mark kind of said, where have we gone when it comes to procurement? Um, I actually did have a role called SME Crown Rep for a couple of years, which was exactly focused on helping government buy more from small business. But the minister who appointed me at the time was Matt Hancock, uh, when he was minister for cabinet office. But the reason why I say I sound like an old bore is this was the time which most of us will remember, because we were definitely all around, Cameron was prime minister, Lord Young was in at number 10 as entrepreneur in residence. Daniel Korski was special advisor to David Cameron. Rohan Silver was in at number 10. Matt Hancock was Minister for Cabinet Office. George Osborne was the Chancellor. And for me, that was our halo time of entrepreneurship because all of those big beefy ministers from the Prime Minister down had this massive commitment to startups. And I watched a, a conference the other day. One of the think tanks did a conference where George Osborne was interviewed and he made this brilliant comment he was being asked if you were the current chancellor what would you do now and he said I would fire up enterprise in this country I would do everything in my power to get people starting and growing businesses that's what I would do and as he said it I just thought I want you back in charge because yeah. <laughs> I you want him it. on the podcast he has got a bit of a up and down track record so be careful the point was, I believe that I believe this Tory party has abandoned its roots in enterprise yes. in this crisis. There is no question about that. Uh, can I just say Boris Johnson has abandoned the Tory party? No. Well, I think the cabinet around him, Simon, to be fair. Well, I mean, they're, they're, no they're, yes, they're yes men, but I know the Tory party very well and I can tell you this is not what the Tory party thinks. Well, that is a fair point. Philip, you were trying to intervene. <laughs> Oh, about, I was about half just, an hour ago. Oh, no, what was I going to say? <laughs> well, in terms of procurement and things, actually, on local levels, we've got a very interesting model, which is on in, on in Preston, where you've got the Cooperative Council in Preston, where they decided to procure all of their services locally. And it's actually raised the prosperity of the town because suddenly they said, instead of buying the cheapest, which may be down in London, let's buy locally on everything. And actually suddenly they've kept the circulation of money actually in the town and actually lifted the economy. So it's actually a really interesting model. And I think, I think parties of all colours are now looking at this model actually on local procurement. Not because politically it sounds like a good idea, but because it actually works. You keep money where it actually flow, where it flows around. And actually that's, and, in and that's kind of what we, we Parties have been talking for years, I can remember, even Tony Blair was talking about local procurement and everyone who's in opposition said, we will do local procure everything. And nobody ever does it because they always default to buying from the, it's like the old thing about, no one gets sacked for buying from IBM. Do you remember they used to say that? And it's the same, they always go to the big companies to actually, um, to, to buy these services. And even on the, 
co-wife working in the NHS and what and lots of the stuff that I'm hearing is that even on the, the the testing and everything instead of doing testing locally they decided to go to for a few central labs which suddenly held it all up if instead of actually they created a local solution actually it would have been better and usually what happens is they try a big centralized solution they try that for ages and then it all falls apart then they drop it down to the local level and they say you just need to sort yourselves out and that's when we then suddenly start to get our solutions because you know lots of small businesses doing it like little speedboat zipping around as opposed to these huge big oil tankers going through so you know small is small is best is what i'm saying i'm just staggered that the, the 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 track and trace is less effective than an irish grandmother i know more about who has got COVID from the family grapevine than yes. from any NHS yeah. tech system. It's not an they, Irish thing, though, is it, Declan? It, 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 it is. It it's is. certainly a, a Northern Irish thing. <laughs> we're, a, we're a social bunch, as you know. Yeah, we read the death notices every night, yeah. don't we? Yeah, well, that's because we know everybody is a small country. Mm. Oh, I know. I remember, yeah. I remember that so yeah. well. Yeah. Can I that's just what... ask, finally, before we go, uh, what else we want to see in terms of support for entrepreneurship, small businesses, over this winter? because we've got to come out of this at some point. So we need to be building in the elements that will get us through it. Philip, what, what would you like to see? Well, I think actually one of the things that's come out is that government said, oh, self-employment was apparently very easy to tax. And then suddenly when it's actually very difficult to support, actually, you know, these are the two contrasts. Now, if actually is a recognition, actually we do need some root and branch change in actually how we look at and understand our, our self-employed so we can identify people better so we can actually target support for them through and actually recognize the and count them and recognize them and, and so we can actually then then support them so if we start to count the self-employed but properly recognize who they actually are realize the contribution and then it actually then we can nurture we can nurture and maintain that self-employed market for people who are going to be there whether it's finance it doesn't have to be financial support but it's going to have to be something it may be it may be time to actually keep people going over the long term is what people want sustainability couldn't agree more with that i think what the germans did within a few weeks of the crisis really becoming obvious it was going to hit the economy they sent a grant to everybody in business self-employed or not not uh, nine thousand euros that's what they got cash in hand immediately I don't understand why we can't do that. When you think of the billions of pounds that are now going to be um, defaulted on under bounce back loans, never mind the fraudulent claims that they're trying to weed out um, and other wastes in the system in this pandemic, I think what we need to do is make sure that what Sunak said in March and the whole government, we will put our arms around you and support everybody. And that includes every business. Yes, it will cost. It's only temporary. And secondly, stop this nonsense about viable jobs or not. And thirdly, we've got to support our small businesses in whatever it takes. Oh, I've heard that one before. <laughs> you said it before. <laughs> Emma? Well, segue in from that, definitely ongoing support for small business, more around hopefully this culture bedding in that small businesses feel that getting support is a good thing i'd love to see and then dare i say um international trade so um i have loved watching liz trust do loads of free trade deals with japan and i think the ukraine she was tweeting about yesterday so just the one thing i'd love to see we have seen so many small businesses pivot online very quickly over the past six months they've had to go online because that's where their customers are of course when you're online in theory you can sell to the world so i would love to see as we go into transition period a massive championing from the top level of government of international trade to say hey small businesses we've had a massive shock domestically keep going but why not look a bit further afield and technology can help you do that so ongoing business support but also maybe is this the time for us to broaden our horizons and look a little bit further out um director of policy at mac and business mr yeah. mcvicker have you taken notes of all well, of i have <laughs> i have i mean i do agree with nearly all of it uh, just on the international trade point it's very interesting and there are discussion earlier about the american presidential election and brexit uh, it could have a profound uh, uh, effect on this country because Joe Biden has said it is a red line for him that the, the uh, Anglo-Irish Peace Treaty, the, the Good Friday Agreement, is kept to, and that means where the Northern Irish border is. Yeah. And if I just look at the current uh, 
538 predictions. This is the expert website for the presidential election. They are now predicting it is 88% chance of a Biden presidency and a 68% chance of a Democrat Senate. So the government has got a lot of work to do for an American free trade deal. Declan, I'm exhausted <laughs> because we seem to have just got a bigger and bigger and bigger list. <laughs> Is it still Friday? I don't know. <laughs> but, but no, no, because by the time people start listening to this, it'll actually be a Monday. So no, it's not still Friday. It's Monday. Because <laughs> I've, I've got a dog that's been scratching at the door for a good half hour now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought we... Where we, is he? Where is he? We need a dog bark. <laughs> he, she has been very well behaved. She's a well-trained beast. Can you make her uh, Can you make her she, she doesn't speak on demand. She's, she, oh. she's, she's, not, she doesn't, she's not craven in her need for uh, human affection and validation. I, she's not a Spaniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my, my dog won't say anything either, so there you go. We've had another if dog. Say, if she could say the word ham sandwich, she would. Yeah, my Spaniels are out, so you're not going to get a bark today. I did, I did oh, wonder uh, why it was uh, uh, peace yeah, and calm yeah, and tranquility in the middle of the Yeah, I know, it's very calm. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got my very calm cat lying here fast asleep beside me. Thanks, everybody. It's been absolutely fascinating. Can we do it again yes. soon? <laughs> Fantastic. Emma, yes. thank you very much. Emma Jones, Mark Hart and Philip Ross. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, and all of our podcast conversations and interviews with politicians uh, and our blogs, uh, all aspects of small business and self-employed are discussed and they're all available at backinbusiness.org.uk. And there's another great conversation about to be posted on there. It's Mental Health Week this coming week, and our second mental well-being podcast will be on backinbusiness.org.uk on the 14th of October. That's Wednesday. So watch out for the social media about that in the next few days. If it is on your Twitter or your Instagram or are we on Snapchat? Um, it it, it uh, not, changes not so yet. much now. Not yet. Uh, the kids not tell yet. me it's important. Yes, Whatever and Instagram. Anyway, uh, if, it, if it appears on your social media, share it. And retweet it and all of that stuff. And find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter. We're on Twitter at business underscore back in. Uh, and we comment on all the business news as the week goes by. And there'll be another great conversation this time next week. So join us then. See you all soon. Thank you, Liz. <laughs>